you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast, the pain trade keeping a tight grip on Wall Street. The major average is falling for the fifth straight day. Today's uh, triggered the historic drop of the British pound. Are these outsized moves in currencies, commodities, and bonds masking a bigger looming problem straight ahead? Plus, Amazon getting primed for Christmas early next month, launching a second Prime Day in October. Is this a sign retailers are worried if they don't get consumer dollars for the holiday early, they'll be gone? And later, CNBC's billion-dollar buyer stopping by Fast Money. Tillman Fertitta will join us to talk about the state of the debt markets, inflation, and the health of the consumer. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market side on The Best Tonight. Fano and Eisen, Steve Grasso, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Welcome back, Guy. We begin with the S&P 500 notching a new closing low for the year, posting its fifth straight day in the red. While the Dow Jones slips into bear market territory, dropping more than 20 percent since its high hit back in January. All this has the British pound falling to an all-time low this morning against the dollar. Just this month, the pound has dropped more than 8 percent. The pound's pain has been the dollar's gain. The Dixie up again today, and for the month, it's climbed close to 5 percent. Rates continuing to surge also. The two-year climbing more than 13 basis points, closing above 4.3 percent. And check out the 10-year. It surged 22 basis points. Just today, the yield now 3.92%. Something just doesn't quite feel right, Steve Grasso, when you see these massive moves that you typically don't see in such short amounts of time. Well, I, I think coming back from, you know, when I look over my career on Wall Street, when you, when you watch that big day where somebody hit a bad uh, fat finger trade and then things uh, you know, escalated out of control. We had Accenture trade down from 38 to a penny. Right. Those days, and then you're right back as you're trying to get an order in. So everything that used to take months and sometimes quarters now is done in minutes and weeks. So I think that's what we're watching right now. Think about it. Everything relies on the Fed. What does the Fed control? The Fed controls rates. What do rates uh, have, have an outsized effect on? The dollar. The dollar controls the rest of the market. The dollar controls the effect of the dollar on commodities. Inverse correlation. Dollar goes up, commodities go down. Rates go up, market goes down. That's what we're witnessing right now. So the tell for me is the dollar. It is the rates. It is commodities. Until the dollar stops its ascent, the market does not stop the drop. BK, when you see these moves in single days or in a, over the course of a couple of days, I'm wondering if you think that there's a, a problem out there with liquidity, if, there's, if this is all sort of symptoms of something else that might be, might be broken or might come to be broken soon. Yeah, well, one, we know that there's a lot less liquidity in the market, but that's not why these things are moving. These are historic moves that we're witnessing right now, um, particularly in the currency markets. And there are real economic reasons for that. Effectively, every government, the U.K. is kind of the poster child for it right now, is fighting inflation on one hand, is trying to raise rates. But then they're also trying to borrow money to pay for programs so that people don't freeze this winter. Noble cause. The problem is they're they're actually conflicting with one another. And we're seeing it in the UK. We're seeing it in Europe. We'll likely see it in Japan. 
And we also potentially could see it here in the U.S. So there are real economic things going on that are likely to exacerbate what might have been a shallow recession, might have been a hard landing, but it's more likely now with these type of big moves, we're headed for a global recession. Do you think it's worse now, Bonwin, because of all, what's, all of what's going on? I do. I think back to uh, a couple of shows ago or several shows ago, and you asked the panelists, what's worth, uh, recession or stagflation? Well, uh, a recession with an inflationary recession wasn't really an option, but we're seeing that that really is the worst situation. And that's why you're seeing such volatility that we've pointed out before in the bond market. But in the currency market, typically bonds, currencies, these are markets where you scale your trade because the actual notional far outpaces the moves and the volatility that you typically see. Not to mention these are also leveraged bets. So these moves are going to continue to be exacerbated. I think BK alluded to it, but the, but the moves that we saw last week in terms of the, the, the British pound are pushback because traders are essentially saying these moves that we're seeing in terms of fiscal policy are, are, are erroneous or are an error and are going to lead to worse financial situations. And that's why you're seeing the, the flight. I mean, you mentioned the 10-year move, but that two-year move, 15 basis points intraday, we're trading around 435. That, that's pretty significant. And I think you're seeing that trickle-down effect into the other markets uh, that Steve mentioned. So borrowing costs are going up, Guy. Um, you know, companies are dealing with, with uh, an FX impact, most certainly with the dollar index up almost 5% in just a single month. Welcome back, by the way, Guy, as you were, you know, enjoying yourself in, in Sicily. All this was going on. Yes. So what's your take? I was watching from afar, Mel, and I saw you on the Squawk Box this morning. And it's remarkable now that people are talking about things that we've been talking about on the show literally the last year or so. And Listen, in a world of free money, everything is opaque. There's no price discovery. And now we're starting to learn the hard way what price discovery looks like. And it's painful. And I agree with everything Steve said except one thing. He said the Fed controls the, the bond. No, they don't. They, they've lost control of just about everything. When you see moves like we're seeing over the last few months, it's ridiculous. I mean, obviously, 18 basis points at this level is not what it was a week or so ago. But it's still a tremendous move. I mean, it's dumb. And the thing that's concerned me all along, nothing, is focused, nothing has made its way into the credit market yet. But look at how HYG's been trading. And we've been pointing this out. When the general's on the show, he brings it up as well. And look at LQD, which is trading below, for emphasis, the levels we made at the worst of 2020, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. Investment-grade corporate bonds. So it's starting to seep in there. None of this is good. And just in closing... That closed today in the equity market. I don't know what happened, but we haven't seen something like that in a long time. The market seemingly wanted to rally, didn't, and it really sold off hard. So, yeah, I mean, all these things are coming to fruition at pretty much the wrong time. But here we are. Yeah, BK, going back to you, I mean, you're saying that, that, that a global recession is now in the cards. And I'm wondering, I mean, are we priced for global recession? Is that what the markets are telling us right now? I mean, how much more do we have to price that scenario in? I mean, yeah, listen, I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy. I'm not the first person to say there's a global recession sure. out there. But I think you you've got to say the odds of it have absolutely gone well above 50 percent at this point in time. Uh, you know, I don't know another 10 percent lower. So we have to reset these valuations. So an S&P at 17 times when we look at where we were in the 70s or the 80s, when we finally got control of inflation and were in a recession, you had an S&P uh, P.E. ratio of 12. I don't know if we have to get down there, but we're certainly at an average of 17 or 18. That's not the right number. I know that much. 
And we haven't really seen any companies warn on demand destruction. We've seen margin problems. We've seen a couple things here and there. But nobody has said, hey, by the way, we're laying off a bunch of people because nobody's showing up at our store. We might see that in this quarter. That may be what's coming up, but we haven't seen it yet. So I don't think we're priced for a global recession. Yeah, we haven't really heard about the enterprise demand uh, drying up or taking a stumble or anything like that. Maybe that's the next shoe to drop. Carter Worth this morning on the Squawk Box program. So 3,400 for the S&P 500, Steve. What do you think of that level? Yeah, so so uh, you know I, I've been looking at they're all they're all in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. So I've been looking at the 33 to 3,400, 3,350. It's all it's all the same ball wax. But when you look at if you go back to before, so what I was looking at was the February 2020 level. But if you go back because we had a run up into that Jan Feb level, if you go before that, it's 3,000. Now, if you go back to BK's you know, uh, line of, of sight where he, you talk about valuation in the market, we were all accustomed to an S&P that you buy at 16 times, sell at over 20 times. And now if we don't know what 16 times is in this environment, you don't know if you should be selling it or buying it. So you really have no stability to make that case just yet. Yeah, and you're, you're starting to see analysts really ratchet down. And, and what you're seeing is that that's not a step function. You would expect to see the moves from 4,800 to 4,600 to 4,000. And what you've seen are people move their, their, their uh, year end expectations from, I don't know, 44, 4,600 to now 36, yeah. 35, like 3,300. Exactly. So, so the points that you're making are, are a lot, Steve. What I will say is there are still pockets of the market that are still trading at 24, 25 mm-hmm. times. There's defensive stocks that are still trading at 30, 33 defensive. I'm going to use quotation marks there. So, you know, the, the, the market has now traded down to a 17 multiple, but you're still seeing pockets that are much more expensive. So I, I can understand that we may, you know, level out around a 14 or 15, but I think you'll see washout in those, those higher areas, those higher growth areas that are trading at that premium. Mm-hmm. Well, our next guest predicts the dollar may be on track for its best year ever. Let's bring in Jens Nordvig, founder and CEO of Exante Data. Jens, great to have you with us. Um, there is some thought that the Dixie, the dollar index is so extended at this point there's there's got to be a limit to this and that we're closer to the top than than we are not so i'm just curious how much farther do you think it can go well so we we've been in a situation where we essentially had um the dollar firing on all cylinders right the dollar is typically strong when global growth is weak global growth has been weakening this year right then we've had the fed kicking in getting very aggressive uh, we have a European energy crisis, which uh, ha- has really damaged uh, all European currencies, which are among the most important currencies in the world. And then uh, what we've started to see over the last uh, three, four days is that uh, it is not helping the other currencies, even the other major currencies in the world, that interest rates in their economies are going up. So this is something that is new and very dramatic. UK interest rates have exploded higher, and look what happened to pound sterling, right? So this is a kind of an emerging market currency dynamic that is starting to impact currencies that are not supposed to be emerging market currencies. So that's a very, very big deal, and this is what is causing this fresh leg in the dollar that essentially is making the dollar go to levels that people would have thought were not possible even a couple of weeks ago. Hey, Jens, it's BK. So we see on the Dixie, on the the dollar index, you know, when it gets to somewhere around 120, that's where we've had major crises in the past, great financial crisis, those type of things. 
Um, do you see this environment where these moves in currency start to cause economic, real economic damage and real economic crises? Yeah, like if, if you think about what's uh, happened in the United Kingdom in the last couple of days, right, we essentially really cannot find any like other examples where the yield curve is moving as fast as it is, right? So this is causing incredible monetary tightening in a very short uh, period of time. So this is a historical thing that's going on. Uh, so we have to sort of just recognize that it's very hard to find examples of this happening in history. And uh, it's all about inflation. We have not had inflation, right, for several decades. And all the policies that were possible in a low inflation environment are not possible, right? So when the bond market starts to misbehave, normally you would have the central bank coming in and calm it down somehow, maybe buy some bonds here and there, but that's gonna go against the inflation fighting, right? So it's like this, the central banks have their, their hands tied against the back uh, in this environment. And that's why the market volatility is so extreme and why it's very hard to say, okay, this specific level of the dollar hits enough. We are going through what people thought would be the max, if you ask them very, very, very recently. So we've not seen this before. Um, so I'm, I'm just going back to BK's question, Jens. What is, do you have an answer to it in terms of of what is going on and whether that actually causes financial crises? Because it's not just Europe. I mean, you take a look at what's going on in Asia as well with the yuan and the yen hitting new lows as well and, and their major trading partners in that area. And what's what's going to happen? It, it just seems like there's so many hot spots around the world with currency as sort of being the ground zero. Yeah. Uh, no, so I think, I think you're uh, asking uh, exactly the right question in the sense that we've had a situation where it was clear that we were going into a situation where we were gonna have weak economic growth, maybe a recession on the cards, but we didn't really have financial crisis type of dynamics, right? It was not 2008 uh, and that type of, of instability around financial institutions and so forth. But what's going on in the last couple of days is that the price action in the bond market is getting, uh, I would say disorderly, uh, maybe not in the US yet, but certainly in some other big uh, global bond markets, the price action is getting disorderly. And that is something that's going to be a problem for major financial institutions and so forth. So we are morphing from economic trouble into financial sector trouble right now. And that's what's new about the MU. And that's why we have to be open-minded that we can go further than people thought a couple of weeks ago. Jens, great to get your insights. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Jens Nordvig of Exante. Um, Brian Kelly, I asked Jens about uh, whether or not the dollar index have, has hit, you know, close to highs. You are sort of in that camp that it's so stretched that there's got to be a sort of a limit to how much you can move higher. Have you changed your mind at all listening to Jens? No, I mean, I guess I guess what I'm saying is, you know, this this dollar has been running for a bit. We are in the early innings of a currency crisis, as Jens pointed out. So. You need to stop thinking about, okay, is it now time to start put dollar trades on and think about where this ends and how it ends. That's why I asked, are we getting towards a crisis? Because usually in a crisis, central bankers and governments, they make three or four mistakes and then figure it out. So that's more what I'm thinking. I still think, as I said last week, these currency markets are on the edge of going parabolic. We saw it with the British pound. We'll likely see it with the yen, and I would not be surprised to see it with the euro before this is all over. So if this is a deep end of the pool type of trading, though. This is not 
for the home gamer to try to get into and say, oh, I'm going to call a top or a bottom in the dollar. Yeah. So if you can, see, the problem is you have to have a clear view on the dollar for me to have a clear view on where the markets are going. Because if you look at these charts, they're clearly taking their first move from rates. We all agree on that, right? Rate, rates are pushing around. That, that's the, the, the elephant in the room. So if you could figure out the dollar, you could figure out the market. So if you think the dollar, to be case point, is close to topping out, I think that's, you have to get a capitulation event in the dollar, in currencies, but by proxy, it's gotta be, it's gotta take its lead from rates. If you could figure that out, then the market has bottomed. I think we're probably, BK said it before, we're probably 10% away from a bottom, and that's where things get messy, squishy, and everything else. I do believe that the midterm elections are the only tailwind for the market, so this next month could be a little hectic and a little crazy and test our own strength. Guy, um, if you're just listening to Jens, it's sort of, I don't want to say scary what he was saying, but, you know, to be on watch for financial crises sparked by what's going on in the currency market, that's frightening to say that there has been no playbook before for these kinds of moves and the impact. That's scary. Um, At the same time, for the U.S. stock market, we don't often pay attention to currency only because the theory is that you look through currency moves when it comes to the impact on revenue. Are we going to hear that again or are things different this time? No, it's not. No, absolutely. And listen, I watched you again on the Squawk Box this morning. You brought it up. I mean, Microsoft warned on currency 6% ago, I think, in terms of the dollar. I might be off by a half a percent. Don't at me. I mean, it's, it's, it's coming again. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned demand. And look, these currency moves are historic. I mean, I, I used to do this for a living back in the 80s and 90s. And if a currency moved a percent or two over the course of a couple of months, you'd be doing back handsprings, which I could do back then. Now they do it in the course of seconds, as Steve said earlier. It's just, it's broken. And again, I'm a Fed hater. Absolutely proud of it. And so you want to blame a group of people? It's the central bankers who think they can orchestrate all that. That's what we're dealing with now. But in terms of the ramifications for the market, yeah, companies going to warn on on currency. Absolutely. And what, again, I don't know if we're in a recession because I'm not an economist. I say it all the time. I'm not smart enough nor humorless enough to be one. But you know what we are on the brink of? An earnings recession. Without question, you're going to start to see companies ratchet things down in this environment. Let's move on here. Amazon, it's doubling down on its Prime Day events, announcing today that it will hold its second sales bonanza of the year in just a couple weeks. The Prime Early Access sale will take place October 11th and 12th, giving the company a jump start on the holiday season. It comes as Amazon is more than 38% off its year high as the e-commerce giant grapples with soaring inflation and slowing e-commerce sales. So is Prime Day Encore the answer to slower consumer? Um, Bono and I don't know. I mean, if you're telling consumers in October you can start holiday shopping and save money, maybe they'll spend on Amazon and, and not other places. Well, that's the thing. I think Amazon is trying to be the first out of the door. Mm-hmm. I think uh, so for them on the margins, it's a positive. But I think generally speaking, what this says about the consumer and their perception, their read through of the consumer, I don't think is a very positive one. Um, I, I also think this is the way for them to kind of bolster their prime sales. And you've seen it kind of trickle down with the uh, with the NFL Thursday night football. So I, I do you know, applaud them for kind of taking steps. But I think, again, we've talked about looking through and seeing how do we what does 
does the end look like? And clearly to me, Amazon is telling you, okay, we've burnt a ton of cash. CapEx spending, I believe, was something like $40 billion, $60 billion. And they're trying to kind of shore that up. But, but the reason why they're doing it is because their core constituency is going to suffer going forward. Seems like a nice time, though, also to put out sales and get the consumer shopping. I mean, if you are a believer that things uh, in the economy will get worse as the year progresses, Guy, maybe unemployment ticks higher, et cetera, get the consumer to spend early. Mm-hmm. But what do they see? So, I mean, I totally get it, and I'm with Bono 100 percent. But what do they see that the rest of us seemingly don't want to see? I mean, they're concerned. They want to get ahead of something that they probably see coming this winter and it makes a lot of sense so to me although it makes a lot of sense and it's probably a smart business move it speaks to something i think far more sinister that we're facing this winter coming up billionaire investor and houston rockets owner tillman pertita will join us in just a few minutes to take on the markets inflation and the debt market don't go anywhere fast money's back in two hi i'm ben rizzuto wealth strategist at janice henderson investors Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Our next guest is the chairman and CEO of Landry's. His empire spans 38 states, 14 countries with over 600 locations. He owns high-end steakhouses, major tourist attractions, a number of hotels, five casinos, and the Houston Rockets. Let's welcome in a familiar face to CNBC, Tillman Fertitta. Tillman, fantastic to see you. It's been too long. I agree, Melissa. It's good to talk to you. <laughs> good to talk to you, too. I wish you were under better circumstances in terms of the economy and inflation, but let, let's deal with that problem of inflation, the health of the economy and jobs, um, and in particular, the debt markets. We've been seeing some major moves in bond markets in very short amounts of time, and I'm wondering what you are seeing in terms of the debt markets and the ability to finance companies or new projects. Well, first off, thank God I refinanced uh, in January and didn't wait till February. So all my debt's out to like 28, 29, and 30. But right now, this week, the spreads are where they were in June when you basically couldn't get a deal done. So you, the only deals you're going to really see out there are small deals where people can hit their revolver, and that's it. Because 
there is no financing market. Even investment grade is tough right now. But in any leverage finance deal, you know, the, the, the one big deal that was done, you know, Citrix was, was a tough deal and the banks lost all a lot of money. So banks aren't really excited right now to go out there and give commitments whatsoever in which to do a public company deal, you have to have a commitment. Yeah. Um, what, is, what are the ramifications of that? I mean, I would think that fewer businesses get started, fewer projects get launched. Some businesses who aren't as fortunate as you in terms of having refinanced or have access to the capital markets, they go under. Are we at, the, at that point? Melissa, definitely. What, what's, what you're going to see happen in, in the next six months is if we don't get a hold of this and get rates back down and companies that did not refinance they are basically going to have to do a deal that is at a crazy rate. And, and, and I'm talking about, you know, 10 to 15% money. And if it's not one of those companies that has a lot of cash flow or it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a company that has a whole lot of debt, that when you start talking about those kind of dollars, it, it's a big number. Uh, I'm a billion-dollar EBITDA company, but just our floating interest next year, we feel like is going to be 50 to $60 million more than it was this year. And, and so, uh, but we're, a, like I said, a huge EBITDA company. But what about those companies that aren't? You're going to see some definite bankruptcies and issues in the next 12 to 18 months if we don't get a hold of this. I mean, the, the knock-on effect is the impact on the consumer ultimately. You say that, that from what you're seeing, and you certainly have got your fingers on the pulse of the consumer, the consumer is okay now. The consumer is spending now. But how are you preparing your businesses for the consumer uh, in six months or in a year? Well, right now the, con- the consumer is spending. But the issue is, Melissa, is... Watch same-store sales. That's the, the biggest thing that you can watch right now. And I'm one that used to always say, don't worry that much about same-store sales if you're in that zero to one to two, positive or negative. But we're, we have very, very good same-store sales, but our margins are less than they were last year and the year before because of the effect of inflation. So even though we're doing, I'd like to say, a lot more business our profit margin is really getting pushed down right now. But when the consumer stops spending and you go from positive five comps and positive seven comps to a negative two, three, four, five comps, it's going to change the world for so many different companies. So that's something you really need to watch right now, that we're covering up some of that with great sales, but that isn't going to continue as we keep raising rates and try to put an end to inflation. Are you seeing business spending come back? I mean, a lot of your properties are showing, you know, some of your fine dining establishments. Certainly those are business account, business expense sort of uh, dinners and meals that, you know, you have at uh, Maestro's or, or, or whatnot. And are you seeing that come back fully or has that not returned fully? So this is really interesting that one of the reasons that our sales are very good right now is the, the business group is back spending money, taking those private rooms and having the dinners for 10 and 12 and, and 50. And, and we're seeing a huge number every day right now. And so that money is back and that's part of it. 
But once again, it's not as profitable as it used to be. So we just got to keep watching this. But when companies come in and say, because they have to start laying people off, because that's what's going to happen when you keep raising rates, because there's no new capital structure out there. Companies are not going to be doing M&A. They're not going to be spending money. That, that, that is when you're going to start seeing a slowdown in the consumer. Last quick question, Tillman. There's never enough time when, when it's a conversation with you. But last quick question. The price of what on which menu has gone up the most? Beef prime is, is, is the most expensive of all right now. Um, and when you have a bunch of high-end restaurants like we do, mm-hmm. from, from Mastro's to Del Frisco's to Catch, uh, to the Strip House to Martin's, who all serve prime, uh, it's hard. And, and, and the consumer needs to be patient when they see, you know, a 65 and $70 steak on that menu. Because it's not just that that went up. Our energy price is up. Right. Every lease that's come up, the landlord wants more. It's everywhere and everything. And, and like I said, our margins are being hit. Wow. Tillman, thanks so much for the conversation. Always appreciate it. Thanks, Melissa. Good talking to you. Tillman Fertitta of Landry's. It's tough to be in business out there right now, Guy. I mean, a $65, $70 ribeye? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the that's the high rent district. Obviously, I'm not going to those establishments, Mel, but I'll push back on something that Tillman said, not looking to bring the guests back. As you know, that is taboo here on Fast Money. (laughs) But it's interesting. He said when companies start laying people off and again, third time in this show that I will bring back Squawk Box. Somebody made a really good point this morning there. You can't lay people off because you can't find people to work in the first place. You know what happens then? Margins start to get whacked. So This unemployment rate, as much as the Fed wants it to go higher, and I'm saying that, I'm not happy to be saying that, it's not going to go that much higher, I don't think, because quite frankly, companies are still looking for people and they can't fill empty seats. So you've got a real issue here in terms of, I think, what's going to happen to margins going forward as well. BK, your take? Yeah, I think Tillman just gave a fantastic view inside what happens to a company when Fed policy lags, right? We're talking about margins getting squeezed. Now he's talking about, hey, I can't do a deal. And there's going to be smaller companies that, because of the interest rate increases, are going to go out of business. And M&A is going down. Wall Street is going to spend less at his restaurants. And those are the lag effects that have not come into this economy yet, which are the next shoe to drop. So we're really seeing it from what Yen said in the beginning about how we have these massive interest rates and currency moves moving on down the chain, down to something where Tillman's saying, hey, I'm not going to expand, and I know there's people going to be going out of business, and that's where Guy's going to get the other people to hire because these companies aren't coming back. That's not a great situation. Mm-hmm. Coming up, stocks, bonds, and shoes. One company doubling down on tradable assets as stocks continue to swing. We'll get a check on how Yeezys are doing just a few. The first casino stocks winning big, some big names surging as China gears up to reopen a major gambling hub. So is a group worth betting on. The details from Fast Money Return. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research 
in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money Casinos. Winning big today. Win Resorts, Las Vegas Sands, the market's top performers after Macau announced it will lease, it'll ease back, excuse me, ease back on mainland China visitor restrictions. Both stocks surging more than 12%. The news sending Las Vegas Sands into the green for the year. Guy, you watch the space very closely. I feel like we're always one lockdown away, though, from the stocks coming back to earth. Yeah. I mean, valuation is still, even after this move, valuation is compelling on so many of these names, specifically LVS and Wynn. And as you know, Mel, because you do have a memory like an elephant, Wynn is the W in my dawn trade. And above 40, it starts to break out in a pretty meaningful way. And I think if, listen, if we're behind, if zero COVID China is behind us and things do start opening up, I think these stocks, even in the environment that we find ourselves in, should go higher. Bonoin? You know, I thought it was interesting, um, particularly uh, Jeff's note out about it. And it really was them saying, well, we've already kind of priced in a lot of the reopening. And this is about multiple expansion. And, and that's where I have a bit of a pushback there, particularly if you read through and look at the Chinese real estate market. I think Citi came out with a note saying that about 25, 30 percent of the financing related to that is being deemed as compromise. So I think there is a bit of tug of war there. I think, you know, up 13, 14, 15 percent, I probably already missed the move and I, I'd probably look look at if I have, I don't really like the space, but if I have to be there, I'm probably looking at MGM, something that's more domestic altogether. I'm not really willing to play the binary bets of, um, of uh, Chinese zero COVID policy. Coming up, we are lacing up for some sneaker talk. StockX CEO Scott Cutler is breaking down how his company is walking into the next generation of consumers. That inter- interview in just moments and throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, we are celebrating our teammates and contributors. Here's the CEO of Nuveen. My mom cleaned uh, hotel rooms. My dad worked in a kitchen uh, in, at, at restaurants. And what always struck me was how much pride uh, they took in their jobs. And that's something that's always stayed with me. I could distinctly remember uh, starting my career and being the only Latino in the room, really being the only person of color in the room. Your first impulse is really to try to acclimate and sometimes be someone who you're not. The power and diversity is what you bring to the table. And to me, I am extremely proud of my parents and the millions of other people like them, uh, people they kind of really trailed and paved the way for, uh, for folks like me. Welcome back to Fast Money. Known as a sneaker resale empire, StockX is doubling down on other tradable assets and consumer goods. Could it be a viable option for investors looking to diversify away from the volatile stock market? Let's get answers from Scott Cutler, the CEO of StockX. Scott is also a former eBay, StubHub, and NYSE executive. Scott, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me back, Melissa. Have you uh, seen any change in the behavior of the consumer, whether it be how many transactions they might do, uh, what they are buying, uh, let's say over the past six months or so? We have a really unique insight into the next generation of consumers. These are 70% of our customers under the age of 35. We have 30 million visitors that come to our site every month, 6 million active buyers. What, What we're seeing out of this next generation of consumers is that there's no question that macroeconomic uncertainty impacts them. 
inflation, rising prices at the pump impacts their ability to spend. But at the same time, what we've seen in our business is that we've seen trades increase on a year over year basis when we look at the first half of this year versus last year. And we're also coming into the holiday season, which is really the most exciting time of the year for commerce. And, and brands are and are expected to release really exciting products that are hoping to attract the attention of this next generation of consumers. So when you say trades increase, um, are people looking to sell what they have? I mean, obviously there's two sides to a trade, but I'm just trying to get, get an understanding of whether or not the consumer is looking to sell things to sort of lock in their gains or they're looking for other ways to raise money in their lives. Um, and, and, and somebody else obviously is buying that that good, but that could be a, a higher end consumer or maybe even a company or a collector. So as a marketplace, there's two sides, as you say, to the to the transaction. We have sellers, 700,000 of them. Uh, those sellers are acquiring products, um, typically in a retail environment and, and selling those products. And for many of these sellers, this is their economic livelihood. They leverage the platform to uh, to, to drive their to drive their business. On the other hand, buyers are effectively coming to the marketplace. Many of the products that are sold on our platform, you couldn't get access to that product from a traditional retail channel. So you're buying it from people that are reselling that item again. And so the the trend in terms of sellers trying to uh, monetize investments that they've already made and buyers trying to find great value for products works in a real-time marketplace in which we see. And so we see um, as a real-time marketplace, the price fluctuates between brands and products um, every single minute of the day. What is the, um, what is the sneaker or the product that is the, would be the equivalent of, of a, a share of Apple, let's say? <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see, a share of Apple would be a product that has increased over a long period of time. You know, we've got in the sneaker uh, space, of course, Nike, Brand Jordan have always been uh, great products. But I think what we see is, I don't know, I wouldn't call it the meme stocks, but it's really the exciting brands. These are brands like Puma, Birkenstock, New Balance, brands you've certainly heard of before, but are leveraging collaborations, scarcity model, and in fact, in some of those, uh, some of those brands are seeing really significant year-over-year increases on our platform. Puma, as an example, up 400% year-over-year. Birkenstocks, you know, popular during my uh, teenage years, very different now, but up 200% wow. uh, on a year-over-year basis. So again, I'd say those those micro trends are reflecting again brands that are. You know, kind of riding the wave of this consumer and mm -hmm. finding ways to reach them in, in really interesting uh, collaborations. Scott, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Scott Cutler of StockX. Better than Bitcoin, BK. Birkenstocks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. I mean, you're talking to a guy who wears <laughs> flip-flops or ski boots, so I'm hardly the person to ask about fashion footwear. Uh, but it would strike me that this is one of those classic COVID trades here where people had a little extra cash. They go down to the local Nike store, pick up some Air Jordans and sell them online. That doesn't seem to be the type. This doesn't seem to be the type of environment that might be good for that. Yeah. Bonoin. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with BK, although I will say trying to be find a positive silver lining here. I do think that the that the consumer base is going to be a bit stickier because they tend to be enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. And I will say that uh, th th there is significant business models between people 
building algorithms that are able to buy these things online at a discounted price and turn and flip them. So there, there is a use case. There is like a proven business model behind it. With that said, facing consumer discretionary, I think will be challenging. Going yeah, I think this is more this is an investment case versus anything else. I don't think you're going to see this blow up as far as people are trading uh, issues on, on their network. It's interesting that they do have an NFT element to it, but I don't think this is the proper environment to actually get any tailwind behind an NFT marketplace, as we've seen in some of the other, in Bitcoin and the alternate currencies. But when you branch this out to Nike, Nike stock is, you know, just taking the elementary basis of this, yeah. Nike stock is at the February 2020 level. Under Armour is at the pandemic low. So the reward in the sneaker industry, that's trading like retail community, and StockX is catering to the investment community. So to Bonowin's point, there'll always be investors in certain elements of it. They'll either spend more for fewer things or spend less on a whole bunch of things and try to make a killing out. Yeah. Uh, Scott made an interesting point, Guy, in terms of uh, companies using this to spark excitement and con- you know, continued interest. I know you're smiling because you're like, I have no idea what this company does. I would never resell sneakers. I would never buy sneakers online. I would never, would never buy anything online. Is that what you're going to say? Guy has Air Jadens. He doesn't even, <laughs> he doesn't even know anything about that. <laughs> You know, it's funny, and I'm just actually looking around. TRB, the reform broker, bought me a pair of what he called at the time Fly 7s for my 50th birthday 26 years ago. And I got to tell you, (laughs) those suckers are still in the box, man. I got to get myself a stocks account and go nuts. You might not see me for a while. (laughs) You're going to go back to Sicily on the earnings. Coming up a day late and a dollar short, how option traders are playing the recent run-up in the U.S. dollar. Details and fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. One more check on the dollar rallying even higher today as the British pound enters freefall territory. But the dollar dominance may not last for long. Options traders are already lining up bearish bets on the greenback. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Yeah, UUP, the ETF that tracks the Dixie index, traded four times its average daily options volume, seven times its average daily put volume. A lot of that the result of the most busy contract, which were the October 30 puts. We saw a huge number of those trading for about 25 cents. Buyers of those puts are betting that UUP could fall below that $30 strike price between now and October expiration, giving up some of these recent gains. BK, you mentioned that home gamers probably shouldn't put on dollar-related trades. You're not a home gamer. I mean, you are at home right now, but <laughs> you're a professional. Yes. So I'm wondering what, what, how your positioning yes. is. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm long of dollars. I think there's more to go. I sold about or got out about a third of the position. So, you know, short pound, short yen, short euro. I covered about a third of those shorts over the last two trading days. I still think there's more to go. I guess my point is you try to trade something like UUP and you can get either intervened on, central bank comes in and they all coordinate on you, something like that. So it's difficult. And then secondarily, to try to trade a strong dollar stock, I don't think is a great way to do it. Yeah. Mike Coe, thank you. For more options action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. It's time now for the final trade. Wow, that went by fast, right? BK, what do you say? You know, I agree with Guy. That was an ugly close today. You sell the triple Qs tomorrow. Guy Adami, welcome back once again. Great, good to have you back for the show. I, I missed every, I missed you. I, I, you listen, 
people should not only go to Sicily, they should go to Italy as well. It's for another show. Prudential, too cheap here, PRU. Bono and Eisen. Uh, the sector's been weak all month, but I think there's still a lot of free cash flow being generated in the space. DVN, Devin Energy. Steven Grasso. I can confirm that BK is long a lot of dollars. That's the, that's the one thing I can confirm, a lot of dollars. He's long, he's long an enormous amount of the greenback, in general and on a micro version. The world is a scary place, Northrop Grumman. All right. Buy it. Thank you for watching Fast. We will see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. But in the meantime, do not go anywhere. A CNBC special, The Fed Factor with Brian Sullivan, starts in two minutes. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.